Yeah, I'm just, I'm really sad that there's like this kind of cloud over fall because I love fall. It's my favorite season. Um, and not only am I not getting married this fall, like I thought, but now, you know, like, yeah, I love the Renaissance Fair and now we can't go and like, it's okay. Like everything will be fine and we'll have a good time. But yeah, it's just, it's a bummer. It really is. Um, and before we started too, I realized we have not said this yet and I wanted to make it very, very clear. Um, cause I'm a massive Harry Potter fan and I have not openly criticized JK Rowling oh, for yeah. like the things that she said. I've said it in my personal life, but I haven't yes. said it on the show and I really just need to be like 100% no. Yeah. On, like what she said. No, She's absolutely. Wrong. Her blog post is wrong. And if you need more resources for how you're feeling, um, a podcast that we are close with, um, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, they have episodes solely dedicated to like people working through how hurt they are about what she has said and like what that means for the trans community. So, yeah, and so does MuggleCast, which yeah. is a, um, a 15 year long Harry Potter podcast. They've like interviewed her. Yeah. And they did a whole episode on like why what she said was wrong. Wait, so, they interviewed JK Rowling? Not about, not this time, but they have. Oh, they interviewed. Have. Yeah. Oh, they've okay. been got like it, on it, for it. 15 years. So mm -hmm. they've interviewed like a lot of the directors of the movies and stuff like that. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, so there are resources and Harry Potter resources out there. But I, I realized this week I hadn't said that out loud. And yeah. I was like, I should probably put a firm stance on yes. that. I want to put a stamp on it. Yes. <laughs> Because I'm sure we'll cover her at some point, like we do other women who do bad stuff. Yeah. But we're no, not exactly. here to talk about J.K. Rowling. No, we're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. And this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. They sure do. But just so you know, we are drinking the entire time, hence the On the Rocks. And we are not historians. <laughs> no. Hence the her story yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we just want to make that clear because we do all this research in a week we just go on youtube and wikipedia and try and find as many resources that are as efficient as possible <laughs> yep sometimes documentaries yes netflix helps sometimes mm -hmm. we'll we listen let... to other people's podcasts exactly we'll let you know where we get our info yeah. from we'll send uh, you as there. best we can <laughs> but before we get into these two stories we know that you are busy. You're, you might be polishing silver. You're polishing silver. And that stuff gets all over your hands. I know because I used to have to polish the handbells when I used to play in the handbell choir. Didn't you wear those gloves though? They, I, we did, but they still get a little dingy. So okay. before a performance, you have to... Um, you have to shine the handbells and Great. like polish them. Great. So, and you have to like wear the gloves while you're doing it mm. because you still can't touch them. So you're super goopy. And even if your hands weren't goopy, you couldn't look these women up on your phone. You can't. So we're going to describe what they look like. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing Fritigant this mm. evening. She is a medieval queen and she is like the real life. Queen Cersei Ooh, or like the really? real life evil step queen stepmother queen but I think that because of that people like to redraw her as a sexy seductress but that does not seem to be true okay she was alive in the 500s ADs so there's not like a really great um clear picture of what she looks like but she definitely had a round face and a pear-shaped body she seemed to have this really really long straight brown hair with a very heavy eyelid and she wore like one of those 
veils that kind of looks like a sheet oh yeah on top of your head mm-hmm. um and then a crown on top of it so it was like poofing out the sides got it um but it's hard though because a lot of the portraits of her were drawn years and years after her death based on descriptions of her made after her death or like descriptions of her written during her life so i don't know it's really hard there's a couple portraits from like 897 and there's a couple paintings from the 19th century but in a nutshell that's what she kind of looked like perfect (laughs) so tonight i am doing peggy shippen arnold Um, she had blonde hair, bluish hazel gray eyes, delicate features, and an incredibly endearing personality, according to her biographer. In portraits, she often has her hair swept up with these like rosy round like cheeks. Uh, but one thing was very clear in everything written about her. She was beautiful. She was described as the most beautiful girl in the room, Philadelphia, the East Coast, and even sometimes North America. Wow, People, that's a uh, big range. She's got range. She was Miss America. <laughs> she really was. <laughs> Ms. Colonial America. <laughs> um, so that's basically what she looked like. And I just know that she was really, really beautiful. So I picture somebody and then picture how they would have cast that somebody in a movie. And that's what she looked like. Yes. And if you really want to like get a picture um Winona Ryder played her in Drunk History mm-hmm. and she was perfect because Winona Ryder is beautiful yeah she's stunning yes so I'd say that's actually a pretty decent matchup <laughs> I think we should do Winona Ryder because we she should. was also in the crucible and was excellent in that yes and she also didn't she like steal a bunch of stuff when, yeah in, like, she had the like a klepto late 90s for a while. yeah yeah um, oh, so anyways <laughs> do you want to know what you're drinking i do it looks delightful and fallish uh-huh it is very fallish almost all the ingredients are super fall but yes. this is called the medieval woman <gasps> love it so it is rim the glass with brown sugar and then in a cocktail shaker you're gonna put some peach bourbon some ginger simple syrup some apple cider and then you're gonna shake it up Pour it in a glass over ice and add a slice of peach and a mint garnish. Excellent. Don't try to eat this slice of peach because it's not yet ripe. Ooh, okay. So sorry about that. That's got good color. Everybody else use ripe peach. <laughs> mm. Delicious. It's very, very good. Mm. I love a fall cocktail. Mm-hmm. I love apple cider. I love peaches. I love mint. And the peach bourbon is very, very good. Mm-hmm. You can barely taste it, but like it has mm. a little bite on yeah. the back. No, absolutely. Producer and I drank the peach bourbon just over ice, and it was fine. Mm, delicious. And usually I'm not that kind of girl. <laughs> um, all right. What do you know about Fritigand? Uh, I'm guessing she was a medieval queen, and but I've never heard of her before. So I'm really excited to learn her story because I don't know anything about her, but from what it sounds, she's very interesting. Yes. So that's it. <laughs> she is. This was obviously a request episode Yay! because this whole season is request. And this was by B dash abroad 22. So I can't remember whether it was B dash or B underscore because I have mm. bad handwriting. But we'll tag you. We will let cocktail. you know. We will tag you. <laughs> and everybody else will know then too. So this was a great fun to research. Um, I'm also going to probably butcher some people's names and the reason i did the queen cersei connection 
Uh, at the beginning is because this is kind of Game of Thronesy in the sense where like somebody pops up in the beginning of the story and then they pop up at the end of the story and you're supposed to remember who they are. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So sorry Perfect. <laughs> about that. <laughs> Much of this comes from St. Gregory of Tours, who was alive from 538 to 594 AD. He wrote this book called The Ten Books of Histories. Today, it's known as the History of the Franks. So pretty much all of this information, he's like the sole primary source for Merovingian history. Um, they all get it from this um, saint guy. So okay. that's where her story comes from. Fredegund was born into a very low-ranking family in the mid-500 ADs, and she was actually the servant of King Chilprek's wife, Audovera. So she's the servant of the king's wife. That's her job. Hmm. And France at this time is broken up into regions, and King Chilprek is in charge of New Australia. Kings at this time were also not monogamous. So they might have a queen like Queen Audovera, but they also could sometimes have multiple wives or multiple concubines. So Fritigand had big plans. She decided that she wanted to rise to power. So she decides I'm going to seduce the queen at, or the king as one of his concubines and persuade him to divorce his wife. And she does. She is, you know, this woman and she's being real saucy and she gets the king to send Otto Vera to a convent. Not Whoa. just divorce her, but send her away. <laughs> permanently. Just get rid of her. Yeah. She doesn't need to be here. Go be a nun. You're gone. Wow. Uh, and she had already birthed Otto Vera, three of the king's sons. So Otto Vera has three heirs to the throne and she's sent to a convent. Okay. This is going to be troublesome. So Chilprick's like, okay, I sent her away, but then he looks around and he's like, you know, all of my brothers keep marrying these servants and making them queens. And I feel like maybe I could be like the best brother if I marry somebody of nobility. So even though he sends Ottovera away for Fritigund, he decides not to marry Fritigund. Ooh. He decides to marry Golswintha because she was a noble and it would just be, she'd be of higher class as a queen. So this means that Fritigand is again a servant to the queen and kind of a concubine to the king. And she's not very happy with this. Well, yeah, because that's not what she wants. No. So now she has to get rid of another person. Like, this oh. isn't the smooth sailing A to B kill the queen that she wanted it to be. Right. She wanted an off with her head, get her out of here, and then I'm next. But she turned out to not be next. Too many hedgehogs in the way, if you know exactly. what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> they were all lined up. So Galswintha, that same year, turns up dead <gasps> in her bed via a gruesome strangling. Was it Fritigand? I can't prove it, but the rest <laughs> of the story will help you figure that one out. It's like... <laughs> pretty much pretty much she pretty much killed her and that's around 568 so the king gets the hint and fritigand is gonna become the queen but along the way she's got this daughter i don't know where this daughter came from it's from before she gets married to the king so i don't know if I believe it's before she was married to the king because that's what the story sounded like but every the timeline was very confusing so she has this beautiful daughter. Her daughter's name is Ringanth. And she's growing up beautiful on the outside, apparently not on the inside because she was quite the bragger and is very, very beautiful. And she continues to tell 
her mother that. And as her mother's getting older, you know, she's had to kill two queens at this point or get rid of them at the very least. She's like, you know what, mom? you're starting to lack some beauty i'm like becoming really beautiful and in my age like why don't you just let me take care of the king i'll be the queen ew and then you can (laughs) still have the power because you'll be the queen's mother okay so now she's like move aside i want to be my dad slash maybe dad probably stepdad most likely just stepdad yeah she was probably a bastard yeah okay from a different mm -hmm, different father but like i let me go be the queen uh and fritigand is obviously not going to be happy with this because a she doesn't like that she's aging and b she doesn't like that her daughter is now trying to be queen when she just got rid of two queens to be queen right she's like bitch i didn't come here all this way to have you step up and steal my thunder put in the work i don't want to be the queen mother i'm gonna be the queen the actual queen (laughs) so she takes her daughter to the king's jewel room and it's kind of showing her daughter around remember she'd been the servant of these queens for a really long time and she shows her daughter and she's like oh i'm getting kind of tired we should leave just like kind of look in the treasure chest whatever see what's in there so she leans into the treasure oh chest God. and <laughs> fritigan slams the lid shut on her neck and holds it down on her own daughter that is such a brutal murder and you know what? It's funny that you mention the like evil stepmother and things like that and the evil queen because this is reminding mirror, me mirror on the wall. This is reminding me of Hansel and Gretel. Oh. Like the hey, I don't know if the oven's hot enough. Can you check it? And then just mm-hmm. like throwing the witch in the oven. See, I was going with the who's the fairest of them all. Well, yes, but it's definitely what it sounds like. Yeah. But that scene, like everything is very fairy tale about this. Yeah. It's, but like the worst versions of the fairy tales. <laughs> the like, scary ones. All the, the Grimm's brothers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely horrible. Now, fortunately, her daughter does not die because servants rush in and are like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you can't like break her neck with this <gasps> treasure chest. Um, so she now. She loves a neck. I know. Oh my God. Now she is married to King Chilpert the first and her daughter knows not the front with her and is probably traumatized for life. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So um, becoming queen put a big target on her back because now people are like, oh, that's the woman who strangled Colswintha, like to obviously become the queen. And the bigger problem is before the king was married to Galswintha and his brother Sigebert was married to Brunhilda and Brunhilda and Galswintha were sisters. So it was okay. like two brothers and two sisters. Okay. So now Bruns Hilda is like, yo, your brother's new wife killed my sister. Yeah. Like, fuck her. Yeah. So they start a big war, and this feud between Brunhilda and Fritigand lasts for over 40 years. They hate each other because obviously she killed her sister. Right. But in terms of the feud, Fritigand is kind of winning. She is cementing her place. She's having babies with the king, but not just babies, boys. <gasps> lots and lots of boys. She's very fertile, and she has heirs to the throne now. Wow. So she's queen. Chilpricks fighting his brother, and she's also building up followers on the side. So in Frankish society at this time, the king would give their wives a morgengava, which is a mourning gift when they would get married, which 
sometimes could be up to half of their money in property and riches so that the queen would have to do whatever she wants with. So she's building up a little base of followers. And even though she's having sons, she's really worried about her sons um, getting power because of Otto Vera's kids and because of, you know, the king's brother and Brunhilda who have kids. And she's just like, I don't know what's going on here. So she takes things into her own hands. She orders the assassination of her husband's brother, Sigebert the first, uh, in five seventy five. So now she has murdered Brunhilda's sister and husband, <laughs> and her brother in law. <laughs> like this, she poor just woman. doesn't give a fuck. No, she oh my not. god, <laughs> that's that's unbelievable. Anybody in the way of her power or her children's power is like, nope, get out of here. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, that's the good part of being a sociopath is you're like, yeah, like killing people is like killing a fly. Like, I don't actually care about who is losing this person. I care about my own personal gain. It, it's bananas how much power she wanted. I could not even understand the, like, tracing how many people she had assassinated. Right. It was very, very difficult. I need to, like, draw out a web. Yeah. Um, and if we remember Audovera that's off sitting in the convent, she sends someone to kill her too. She's like, let's get rid of this woman while I'm at it because she could, you know, she's got these three sons. And then she's like, oh, right, <laughs> the sons. Let me go after them for a minute. So the oldest son had died of natural causes. Then the second son, after King Sigebert dies, Brunhilde's husband, the yeah. second son, Audovera's son, decides to marry Brunhilda. They're like, because together we can like get her. We can get Fridigand. But then she just assassinates him. So now she's killed two of Brunhilda's husbands. She's like, I told you, don't fuck with me. <laughs> like, why do you keep trying me? And so he, though, hears an assassin's coming and has his servant kill him before the assassin gets there. I guess it's like a Snape thing, Snape to Dumbledore. Like, you kill me first, so it's not, like, fun for her. I don't know. Maybe just run away. I don't know. That's a weird way to deal with it. I feel like, honestly, at this point, being royal is not worth it in the 500s. No, thank you. Zero percent chance it would be fun. I think about that. I mean, I thought about that when watching Game of Thrones. I was like, why would you want to be in charge? Everyone wants to murder you then. It's like an it's like a death sentence to be the king or queen. It is. And I mean, I mean, think about even like presidents and all the like secret service they have. Yeah. No way. That much public attention is horrifying. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. So then there's the third son of Aldovera who goes out publicly and goes, yo, my stepmom, she's a big old harlot. (laughs) So (laughs) he pretty much calls her a whore. And then she has him assassinated, too, which he was going to do anyway. So, yeah, whatever. So in five, I wish I could take like tallies of the body count at this point, because I feel like I'm lost. It's it's up there. It's a lot. (laughs) I feel like it was like one murder. Two murder. Slam my daughter's like head in the chest. Attempted murder. You know what? Everyone else is just gone. Mm-hmm. It, right. it, she escalated. She escalated. Yeah. She's, yeah. <laughs> so in 580, there's a big epidemic of dysentery that breaks out in Gaul, affecting both King Chilperic and two of her sons. Fritigan believed that God was punishing her for all of her sin, which somebody should. Mm-hmm. And she decides to fix this that she's gonna burn a number of her tax records as if burning them would erase her insider trading or something like what the fuck did she have on her tax records what is what was going on there 
And then she encourages the king to do the same. Like, let's just burn our tax records so that the church isn't mad at us anymore. Oh, Maybe are well, they not tithing? Like, I don't know. Well, I'm wondering if there are payments to assassins. And she's like, we have to erase <laughs> that shit. That is probably true. I, I didn't even think about it. that. Yeah. yeah. Like, she's huh, definitely paying people. 500 galleons to a... um. Mr. A. Smith. Assassin. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. A. Assassin. That's great. That's good. That was good one. <laughs> Points for you. Um, King Chilprick gets better from the dysentery, but both of her sons that were sick die. Oh. And she's like, ah, shit. So then she <laughs> mourns a little bit and makes a large donation to a church and goes and atones for her sins and gives some money to the poor. But then another one of her sons, Samson, is stricken with a really serious illness. Um, and believing that he would get her sick, she casts him aside so he doesn't affect, infect her. She's like, just get the fuck out of here. And the king quarantine, is, bitch, yeah. get away. We all know how that is. Yeah. So the king's super pissed and offended that she would treat her child like this specifically because the baby wasn't baptized yet. And he's like, oh, my God, if this baby dies, what's going to happen? So Samson, little baby Samson, lives longer than expected. So she relented and has the baby baptized. But then he dies. So. At least in their eyes, he gets to go to heaven or purgatory. I don't know what they are. Yeah. Uh, in the 500s, it's just any man's game. Yeah. Who knows? Because if you're the wrong one, you could be killed. Yeah. So now let's get back to her daughter, who's still alive. Okay. Uh, it's time to get rid of her. Uh, but not through death. They She treats her daughter into, you know, marriage slavery like normal. Yeah. So Ringuth was sent to this fiance man in Spain. But uh, she was sent with a ton of money and gifts across the country. Um, and when they left the Frankish area with this, all the nobles are like, she's taking all of our kingdom's money and sending it to Spain. I think she's burying the money for later. She's yeah. like trying to get it out of there so she can have it. And Fritigund is like, listen, these are gifts from my husband's generosity to the Spain Spaniards, the Spanish, like, whatever but along the way the entourage of people keeps getting robbed and so they like abandon the daughter and go back to the queen and they're like yo we came back here because your daughter keeps getting robbed and we can't keep taking this money across the country because it's the frankish money and she gets so enraged with the messenger that she has him publicly beaten and chained along with all of the cooks and bakers and whatnot that abandoned with him oh my god but she didn't kill him because he was of high nobility. She just had him publicly beaten and changed. So, you know. Okay. She, she was stepping it up. Yeah. <laughs> so she does have another baby boy, Clothar. And she's okay now if her husband dies. But she wants to make sure that there's a clean slate. So she also attempts to go after Brunhilde's son, Childebert II. And have him killed, but she fails. And then takes two attempts at Brunhilde's life, but fails on that as well. How do you know about how old she is at this point? So she was um, born in the mid-500s, and this is in the 580s. So she's, let's say she was born around 540, 545. Okay. She's about 40 to 50 years old. So like still like late childbearing, sorry. Late childbearing years. Late childbearing years, but like still... 
getting it going because like I feel like it's hard with these older stories because they lived so much shorter yeah that you don't <laughs> they know died exactly so quickly yeah um but I feel like spite can really increase your it um, can and your she doesn't life expectancy. live too much longer okay but um she's absolutely in her 40s like killing some killing some people got it got it got it so now Brunhilde's like I've had it you killed my husband number one. You killed my husband number two. You killed my sister. And now you came after my son and you came after me twice. So King Chilprick shows up mysteriously assassined in 584. What? Fridigan's husband. Guess who done it? Brunhilde. Oh my gosh. Brunhilde for the win. Yeah. She assassined She's back. She's going for that W. She really did. She came in strong back in the game getting after Fritigand. And now Fritigand is the regent for her infant son, Clothar. So she runs and takes refuge in Notre Dame Cathedral. Fritigand does. She gets in there and she takes, you know, refuge. And then as a little added protection, she lies and says she's pregnant because people don't like killing pregnant women. Yep. So now she's in the cathedral. She's pregnant and she's got a baby son who's heir to like this king that just died. Also, another one of Chilprick's brothers, King Guntram, had no wife or children of his own. So he's a little bit of added protection because he's like, I'll take them in because he's like, at least that kid will be heir to the throne. It's my nephew. Um, and then at this point, she's like, well, I'm going to need that money back from Spain. So she sends her people to get all the money she gave to her daughter and bring it back. OK. Now, she's like, what am I going to do to secure power? She tries her old tricks and she goes to seduce a Nostrian official named Eberolf, but she was rejected. He was like, come on, old queen lady. Like, I'm not down for it. Yeah. So she kills him. <laughs> Has him assassinated. Probably should have just boned her at that point. Yeah, like, seriously. Come on, man. Just like, come on. Let, come her, on. let her into the party. <laughs> <laughs> In your pants. So <laughs> she also remember how Brunhilda had married one of Ottovera's sons way back when. Yes. Well, the bishop who performed that marriage, his Ooh. name was Pretextatus. And she was already kind of mad at him because he, like, had married them in the past. And then she's like, you know what? I... I really, maybe I exile this guy. Maybe I kill him. I don't know. And people start asking him, are you scared of her? And he's like, no, my riches are in heaven and her punishment is in hell. And then she gets real pissed. Oof. So uh, he's preaching at mass on Easter morning. And uh, she has him stabbed in front oh of God. the congregation <laughs> on Easter. <laughs> he is dead. He is dead indeed. <laughs> like she has no filter on her murder. None. None. Oh my god. So um yeah, she then he ends up in like a hospital deathbed, not like a real hospital, but yeah. he's on a deathbed in some stone room somewhere. And she goes to visit him, I guess to ask for repentance. I don't know what the fuck she's doing there or maybe to finish him off because she offers her physicians to him. Uh, and he urged her to repent for her sins before he succumbed to his wound, wounds. So uh, he tried at the very end to be like, can you please be a good person for like a second? <laughs> She's like, mm, no. no. Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> yeah. Um, fuck bam, you. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> so then there are some people 
people out there that are like, mm, you should like probably stop killing bishops. And then somebody else is like, and somebody else's her brother-in-law who's been protecting her, King Guntram. He's like, maybe she should be investigated for like killing bishops. And then <laughs> she has him murdered for saying that. And then she has the other bishop murdered for saying she could shouldn't kill bishops. She <laughs> literally off with their heads. <laughs> She's literally the like the the queen of hearts. Yeah. She's literally that anything. Person. Like you are not going to play what's the game? Croquet. Croquet <laughs> with this flamingo and this badger. Off with your head. Um, yeah, she really loves to kill people. Wow. She does. Uh, and you know, the uh, probably the hardest part of the story is Fredegan never got what was coming to her. She ruled the kingdom for about 13 years as regent until her son was old enough to take over. And then he did. And then Fredegan died of natural causes on December 8th. 597 in Paris and the tomb is a mosaic figure of marble and copper in St. Denis Basilica. Now her son was not <laughs> going to let all these battles go. So Fredegan never lived to see it, but her son did settle the dispute with Brunhilda. Clothar II ordered that she be tied by the arms and hair to the tail of a young untamed horse and dragged through the entire like army base. Uh, the order was carried out, but the first guy on the horse dug his spurs in really deep and the horse reared up and forced Brunhilda's head to fall off. And then her body was dragged through the bushes and brambles until she was torn limb from limb. Wow. But she was already dead. Uh, because her head had fallen off. Yes. But she was alive when they tied her to the horse. Oh, I thought you said she died. Oh, Brumhilda. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. My baby, my baby. Fridigan died of natural causes. Yeah, she causes, died of natural causes. And then her son got hit, of, got rid of Brunhilda so that he could like put the whole thing to rest. Okay. You're dead. You're dead. I'm Everybody's king. dead. I'm king. Shut the fuck up. Right. Okay. So Clothar the second was like, done. Okay. What an awful way to die. Serious awful way to die. I'm almost glad, though, that she died at, like, the first. The first kick yeah, of the, at kick the, of first, the horse. Yeah, yeah, because it's just unfair that Fritigand, um died of natural causes. But also, like, yeah. if, you, if you go at this from the Brunhilda side of the story, she has her own little adventure tale. So, like, Ooh. she's fun, too, to look okay. into. Um, but that's Fritigan's story. Um, you know, be abroad 22. Thank you for that. What a tale. <laughs> what a tale of what a woman. Uh, she's wild and a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, hashtag body count on this one. We really should have kept a tally. So if, if someone's out there listening, give, go us back, a, give us a tally. Back up. <laughs> I feel like it's it upwards of 10. Mm-hmm. At least. More than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So She killed a lot of people and or let her children die. Oh, my God. So that's her story. All right. Well, there we go. Every every now and again, you got to do those bad ladies. I know. Well, we got one more bad lady to do tonight. It's good to be bad. It is. So we'll be right back. We're going to get some more drinks. (laughs) Fiance Knowles happened. Fiance... (laughs) Um, <laughs> Katie's best friend, uh, called Katie's fiance, fiance Knowles. And in honor of her upcoming birthday, I think that's just what we need to say from this point forward. Oh my God. Uh, it made me laugh big time. Yeah. 
Um, there were some good times had at family dinner last week. Yeah. Paige came over yesterday and we watched a movie and she was like, Sunday dinner was insane. <laughs> I remember about half of it. I know. <laughs> she was like, at one point, Katie, you said, because <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it, but I like she made a joke and uh, I made a joke and uh, the joke was so ridiculous that I had to like put my hand on fiance, fiance Knowles. And I was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it was. Um, Sometimes that happens. It does. But we're not here to talk about that. No, we're (laughs) here to talk about this new cocktail that has basil. We are all into the herbs this evening. The summer herbs. Um, So yes, so this cocktail is called Lady McTrader. (laughs) And... In honor of Peggy Shippen. Oh, really? Um, so it is uh, basically, I made a gin and tonic. So two ounces of gin, um, tonic, choose from half a lime. But I added an ounce of apple brandy because I feel like the gin and tonic is very British. And then I feel like you need to get that shot of American apple in there. <laughs> what? Why did you do that? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> So yeah, so Lady Cheers. McTrader, cheers. It's great. It's very good. Um, did I say it was apple brandy? Yep. I feel like I just said apple, but it's apple brandy you that did I say put apple in. Brandy. Okay, thank God. I think. Thank God. Listen, Miss Krista, um, I hope you have your peach bourbon and your apple brandy and your herbs. And your herbs. Um yeah, I like it. It's very. I, I love a gin and tonic. Obviously, we've talked about that it's before. Your um, but just like adding that little something extra, and I garnished it with basil just to give a little something, something. This um, basil looks like one that like Thumbelina would ride down a river on. Oh, she could. I didn't it? even include the biggest piece. The biggest piece was like the size of my hand. <sighs> it's so great. It's a so, really good size basil leaf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what do you know about Peggy Shippen? I know she was married to Benedict Arnold. I know that she was a spy. I believe that she herself was a paid spy, not just like her husband. She was involved in the debauchery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was reading I, Eliza Hamilton, there was a chapter about Eliza Hamilton getting some bad vibes off of Peggy Shippen. And I don't know if that's hindsight Interesting. is 2020 or if she actually wrote a letter to... Alexander Hamilton that's like I I don't know if I trust this woman she's being shady we know it's funny is Philip Schuyler is a part of this story so then there may have been some like there was probably definitely some like and there's did you really there's also probably a little bit of jealousy if she's that pretty because Alexander Hamilton was such a dog yeah so she was probably like I don't trust this woman. She's a traitor. <laughs> like to yeah. get him away from her. Probably. So who knows? But that's all I know. That's my like extent of knowledge okay. on her. I know a lot about Benedict Arnold. I know that John Andre, I think, got captured. And that's mm-hmm. why they found this information. Yes. But I don't know other things. Tell okay. me, tell me, tell me. This is such a fun story. And I just want to give a shout out to Emily Hill for requesting her because I had so much fun with this research. 
It was, I mean, I got my research done early this week because I was very into it. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to my mom, whose name is Peggy, but also Margaret. Yes, 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 yes. Because she is Margaret. She's technically Margaret Chippen. Emily Hill, OG listener. Thank you. Patron. You. Commenter. Liker. Bless you. She's given us a, uh, what are they called? Review. Yes. Thank you. She's real. Um, So did Avery Bray this week. So nice. Thank you so much. It was such a lovely review. Thank you. It means literally the world to us. Um, So I got most of this from, I did get some from Drunk History because I had to like kind of like fact check some of the stuff they said. Um, As per usual. Yeah. Uh, I got some from Biographics YouTube channel. And most importantly... The first three chapters that were freely available online of (laughs) (laughs) Treacherous Beauty, Peggy Shippen, The Woman Behind Benedict Arnold's Plot to Betray America by Mark Jacob and Stephen H. Case. Because her, again, like it's like her Wikipedia page is so short. And they really helped me paint a picture of her as a young woman, which is what I wanted because everybody knows the Benedict Arnold scandal. Right. And... I just wanted to get a feel for who she was. And those first couple chapters really did help me. Um, And honestly, I probably will just buy the book because I really like the way it was written. So anyways, Margaret Peggy Shippen was born on July 11th, 1760 in the great city of Philadelphia. She was the fifth and youngest child of Edward Shippen IV and Margaret Francis. And this was not your average family. The Shippens are like Philadelphia royalty. Her father, Edward IV, was a very well-known and wealthy lawyer, and so was her maternal grandfather. And two of her ancestors were former mayors of Philadelphia. They're old Philly. Old Philly. I mean, one of her ancestors was the first mayor of Philadelphia. Their city of love. Yeah. Um, And another one was the founder of Princeton University. And if Shippen in Pennsylvania kind of rings a bell, that's because her ancestors also founded the town of Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, it's a town. Bitch is prominent. It's no Bainesville Carney. No. Oh, my God. But what I like about her family is even if they were like classic old money, her biographer said that they were kind of quirky and they didn't always run with the pack, which I like. Like John Waters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of her relatives actually had an angry mob run after him when he started using cadavers for medical education. He was like, we can learn a lot if we just like use dead people. And they're like, no, you grave robber. And then they got even more mad at him when he was like, yeah, I think that like men should study midwifery so they know what the fuck is going on over there. And they're like, how dare you? What is an ovary? <laughs> I don't need to know and I don't want to. So Good they day, sir. <laughs> like were really mad at him. Um, and Peggy also had some pretty fucking famous neighbors. Benjamin Franklin was a close family friend. Who? <laughs> I'm sorry, who? Um, and Elizabeth Grisham grew up three blocks away from Peggy around the same time. You might know her as Betsy Ross. Oh. Yeah. Related to Gil Grisham? Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's on the case. Um, Peggy's family definitely owned slaves, and we can tell that from letters. They were not a part of certain groups that were anti-slavery, which is interesting because her family did descend from Quakers who were We're very anti-slavery. But we'll see in her story that like as the generations 
went on, they were like, I mean, the British are kind of cool, though. I do kind of like what they've got going on. And, like, I like the Church of England. And they were just really kind of coming away from that Quaker faith. And you can see that also in their, like, well, maybe we'll just get a slave and just maybe trade this one for this one and, like, barter them and trade them and buy them and sell them. So I don't want it to, like, seem like they're a super cool family because they also did deal in slavery. So just want to make that clear. So Um, screw that. So screw them. Um, so now Peggy was supposed to have a few more siblings, but two younger brothers died. Sorry, everyone. There was an ad playing in the background of one oh my of God. my open tabs. Oh my God. Close your tabs. <laughs> I always have open tabs. That's why my brain is so fucked. I know. Casey hates getting on my computer because he's like, you have so many fucking tabs you, open. And I go, don't can, judge me. If you can't even see the first letter of each tab, it's, you have an issue, yeah, which is what I had. Problem. Okay. So Katie can keep going where she was and just know there was a tab and open. just know there was a tab. Um, so Peggy was supposed to have a few more siblings, but two younger brothers died in infancy and this made Peggy like the forever baby and the absolute darling of the family. (laughs) Even though in Edward's letter of announcement, he said he like literally got to, it was like a PS. He was like, Hey, business is good. I got a new client. Um, also PS, we had a baby girl. And even though she is of the worst sex, she is entirely welcome. The worst sex? The worst. (laughs) The worst. At this point, people are only accepting two. two. Like, now we know, like, like, you know, well, well, there's more genders. There's a spectrum. Yes. But yeah, it's like. The worst. The worst. It's he like said that like, in a What's letter. What's your least favorite color? Yeah, exactly. My daughter. <laughs> My daughter. Um, so, uh, and again, even though her family is Quaker in its roots, um, by the time Peggy came along, they had fully embraced the Church of England. And this also meant they were in a weird ground politically. Again, they were kind of quirky. Her father and grandfather were very moderate. So they opposed independence and were loyal to the crown, but they weren't anti-American. They really liked New England and how it was a part of Great Britain, but separate. Um, One author said it, and I think this is so spot on. He goes, they weren't loyalists. They weren't like Tories, whatever. He goes, they were shippinist. They were pro the things that meant that their family could continue their political and economic superiority. Hmm. Make America British again. <laughs> um, her father, her father said that the Boston Tea Party was really inconvenient because now he has to drink coffee in the morning and he doesn't like co- he doesn't prefer coffee. He was really pissed. Well, you're from the wrong place Um, then, buddy. Yeah. Her other grandfather, though, was super pro-revolution, and he raised a lot of money for those hooligans in Boston. So you can see why things get, like, a little messy in her family. Like, no one really agrees, but they're also just like, we don't really talk about that. It's like the 2020 election. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry. She grew up rather spoiled and living a charmed lifestyle, learning all the good girl, all the, all the good things girls are supposed to. She like needlework, music, drawing, dancing, but she also had a keen interest in her father's work. And from a young age, she showed an interest in political matters. This, along with the baby girl factor, made Peggy her father's favorite child. 
Bingo. Bingo. She would never have a formal education, but Peggy was one of those girls who just like knew what she needed to know. She also spoke the way she was supposed to speak. She would say things in letters like, oh, weak woman as I am and shit like that. But frankly, I think she was just like playing people. She was not a woman who was afraid of being the woman others wanted her to be so that she could be the woman that she wanted to be. It sounds like she's placating people in her letters to like make them receptive to what she has to say. Yeah, because if she's like, hey, I'm not dumb. I'm not weak. They're going to be like, "Ah, ah, feminist. Uh, No, thank you. (laughs) Sorry, negative first wave. Yeah. Get out of here. (laughs) But she's like playing their game. She's like, hey, I know I'm like a dumb woman, but this is what I want. I feel like that's what every female bartender does. They play that game. Yeah. Not that you guys say that you're dumb women. No. But you play the game and you you play it well. Yeah, you do. I mean, everyone in the service industry does that because, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, that joke is so funny. I love that you come in here every morning and only drink coffee and sit at the bar and tip me nothing (laughs) because you literally can't do anything else. Um, uh, Because again, like, she just had to play it. Um, And you also had to use your feminine prowess responsibly, though, at this time, because a step too far into the like, I'm going to flirt with you and pretend to be kind of not as smart as I am could lead to an unplanned pregnancy, which could wreck it all. And it did for a lot of women. This is a fact I learned in this book, which was incredible. Some historians say that a third of the brides in many New England colonial towns walked down the aisle pregnant. Um, well, I'm, you brought up the Schuylers, so I'm just going to throw this out there. Like, Eliza Schuyler wanted to wait, but everybody else was pregnant. Angelica was really? pregnant. Their mother was pregnant. Like, because if you look at the time scale, it was like, oh, I had a baby seven months after I was married. And it's like, I didn't have my period once. Tie it up. Tie it up. up. Tie it up. That's insane. There is a buzzard on the roof out there. (laughs) What the fuck is that? (laughs) Callie, we're cursed. (laughs) That's a hellbird. I hate that. That is a hellbird on the roof. I know. Oh, my God. Okay. 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 Peggy. Peggy Shippen. Peggy. So all of these things that she grew up around and in led to her becoming a charming and intelligent young woman in the midst of the American Revolution. And again, it didn't hurt that she was really fucking pretty. (laughs) She was soon at the height of Philadelphia society and on the arm of every up and coming somebody of the East Coast. But keep in mind, we're in the midst of the Revolutionary War right now. I mean, when she was five, the Stamp Act was enacted. And by the time she's 13, it's the Boston Tea Party. And when she's 16 years old, the Declaration of Independence was adopted. And shit's really popping off with the Revolutionary War. (laughs) So her name might have just come up as a daughter of the American Revolution. But as we will find out, she's married to a man whose name would be synonymous with betrayal. Benedict Arnold. Peggy spent a hundred years being remembered as his unfortunate, innocent wife. But in the 1920s, letters were unearthed that revealed the true Benedict Arnold. And this is her story. (laughs) Give it to me. Peggy's story in history really starts like all good ones do 
at a dance. So the year is 1777. The British have taken over the city of Philadelphia and Peggy Shippen is the hottest bitch in town. Despite the fact that people are being sent to the gallows left and right, people are fleeing Philadelphia to get away from the British. What this occupation means to Peggy is that there are some cute new British soldiers in town. The boys are coming The in. boys. It is like fleet year. The boys. So one night she goes to one of these dances. There's wine, rum, coffee, and of course, the other Peggy and the two Beckys. So these were all socialites of the same era, and they were kind of frenemies. So imagine sex in the city, but their names are Peggy, Peggy, Becky, and Becky, and it's colonial America. Love it. It's perfect. They're the four best colonial Americans. They really are. But they all I feel like had... George Washington is probably one of the four best colonial Americans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Debatable. He had um, 300. Let's not forget about that. Um, <laughs> but they all had their eye on one shoulder. John Andres. Mm. He was you a mentioned earlier. friend of the Skylers. Mm-hmm. He was a captain of the British Army and Peggy and John meet and she is like, he is the shit. Smitten. He's, she's so smitten. Smitten as fuck. He's super handsome. He speaks multiple languages and he is really British. So they start dating. He comes by her house. He sketches her which, fun fact, we still have this sketch today. Was she wearing only this? She was wearing only, like, a ginormous bow in her hair. Okay. It's actually the most ridiculous sketch I've ever seen in my life. So it was She looks like Amelia. Diamonds. No. <laughs> she looks like Amelia Bedelia if Amelia Bedelia was, like, Marie Antoinette. The, <laughs> the puns in Amelia Bedelia are off the Unbelievable. charts. Unbelievable. Who? Draw the curtains. Fine, I'll get up my sketchbook. <sighs> Draw a bath. Dress the kitchen. Dress the ki- chicken. Dress the dirty. Dress the chicken. I love it. Um. Yeah, Amelia uh, is the queen. We should do an episode on Amelia Bedelia because I was obsessed with her when Let I was a kid. Let me write it down because that is really Amelia. Amelia Bedelia. How do you, how do you spell? But it doesn't matter. <laughs> um. That's the one thing I learned from Amelia Bedelia. Nothing fucking matters. Um, and they keep, so, kept hiring her. Okay. okay, okay. But this is the thing. He's also doing the same thing with the other Peggy and the Beckys. He's calling upon their houses. He's sketching them. Like, he definitely knew what he was doing. He's like, This reminds me of the Ashleys from Recess. Exactly. It seemed to be that this was kind of normal, though. So none of the girls seemed particularly perturbed by this. But the important part of John Andre is that him... And Peggy would remain close for years to come, even after he left Philadelphia in 1778, when the British occupancy was coming to an end and General Howe was being sent back to England after losing the Battle of Saratoga. So they knew they were coming for them and they didn't really have a shot. So they're like, peace out. But before the British left this great city, they needed to go out in style. So Andre and the other soldiers would throw one last kick-ass party called the Meschienza. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. I'm the one with the kick-ass parties. I know. That's my thing. We need to do like one of the Halloween parties has to be like a recreation of the Meschienza. It's unbelievable. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. A group of 21 officers put together around 
$2 million to throw the most lavish party that damn town had ever seen. $2 million then money. Yeah. And Mr. Andre was the head of the decoration committee. And that's actually true. He was in charge of costumes and decoration. Uh, the theme of the, f- the party was like French royalty meets Turkish opulence. And there ended up being, I know, what a theme. Are there flying carpets? What a theme. Is what I need to know. It was so culturally appropriative before that was even a term. Oh, yeah. that Not like, okay, but it's unbelievable. sounds very fun. But it was super fun. There ended up being like 400 people at this party. But Peggy Shippen was not. John Andre's date. Peggy Chu was the oh. other Peggy. And Peggy Shippen said, that's fine. Um, she got paired off with this guy, Lieutenant Winyard. And if you're thinking, hey, isn't it a little weird that these girls are attending a party for the British Army after they just lost a huge battle? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And their parents were not happy because even though Peggy's parents were kind of on the fence and in the middle, Peggy being at this event made it very clear what side they were on and they did not like choosing sides she was being decisive she was and but the fact is we don't even know if peggy made it to this party so some people have accounts of her being there but some don't and it's still a mystery to this day i think that she went to this party and then her family tried to cover up the fact that she went to this party and were like, struck her off the list. Strike her off the list. No, thank you. Like, I don't want any record of Peggy fucking being there. That's a powerful family. If you can like, hey. Because here's the thing. I don't think Peggy would have missed that party for anything. Not a social light like that. No. I think she was there. But we really don't know for sure. But to paint a picture of this party... The guests arrived on a fleet of 30 ships that were decorated to the nines with multiple bands playing music. So it's like a fleet of barges. So it's like those flat kind of open ships and there's 30 of them. I all mean, decorated. maybe you wouldn't have to raise your taxes on tea if you wouldn't spend know. your money on I fucking know. barges. I know. So they get there and they sail down the Delaware River to Wharton Mansion and the bands pick up their instruments and they lead the 400 party goers in a parade to the insanely decorated mansion while one of the ships gave a 19-gun salute. This was quite literally the party of the century. I mean, like gold tapestries, liquor as far as the eye can see. It was the place to fucking be. I just... I love descriptions of this party because I also didn't know that it existed. I didn't either. But I also think that that's because we focus so much on that time in history of what the Americans were doing. The quote unquote yes. Americans. They were still British. But yeah, the, the rebels. So no, we don't, absolutely. We don't want to focus on what the British were doing because they lost. And it's also such a weird thing to do of like, hey, we're losing the war. So let's throw a huge party. Well, the French hadn't and come like, yet. They weren't quite losing. No. And we'll get into that. They too. had lost a battle. Yes. <laughs> so they it was just like such a funny event. And I would really hi- like Google it. They still have like the emblems from the invitations and like. Everyone had costumes on and but there was also like some people that were like, oh, why don't you dress up as like, you know, like a Turkish like slave and like it's like, uh, I don't know. That's not I mean, that's definitely not OK, but there are some like fucked up parts of this party. But 
It was the craziest thing Philadelphia had ever seen. So the British left, colonial Philadelphians <laughs> returned to their homes, and the regular American social scene came back to life. But people were super pissed at Peggy and her friends for fraternizing with the British officers and attending the Mescienza. So they were shunned from future events. They're like, no, you can't come to this party. Like, you just party with the British. Like, I don't even know what you're doing. But they're blacklisted. Then this is literally what happened. The parties were so dull without them that they gave up and then let them back in after like a very short period of time. Okay, listen, Regina George needs to be there. I mean, it's like having a party in the early 2000s and not inviting Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan. You just Mm -hmm. can't do it. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. It's just not going to be as much fun. Also, I'm very sorry. Lindsay had some terrible problems. I don't mean to make light of that. But, oh, and of Lindsay. course. <laughs> we love you. Come we back. We love you. Come back. Rise again. Um, like a phoenix, like Brittany. Um, but of course, shortly after all this unpleasantness, which really wasn't all that unpleasant for Peggy. <laughs> she was like having a good time the whole time. She's like, I don't care where you invite me. I'll be yeah, there. Yeah, I'll be there. So she meets a man 20 years her senior when she is 18 years old. Was Benedict married before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Brigadier General Benedict Arnold. Say it again. Brigadier. Brigadier. <laughs> <laughs> now, to give you a little background info on our dear friend Benedict, he hailed from Connecticut and always wanted to be like a great military man. He joined a Connecticut militia as a captain in 1775 and would go on to take part in many Famous battles, including, including like Fort Ticonderoga and Saratoga and some less famous military crusades up in Canada, which we'll get to. Um, he married his first wife in 1767, but she passed away just eight years into the marriage. But they oh, did have no. three sons. Uh, so Benedict Arnold had kind of an up and down military career. Some battles, he was like a total hero. And in others, he royal fucked, royal, royally fucked things up. But one thing was for certain. He often felt super slighted by the colonial army. And there's one particular incident where a whole bunch of other guys were being promoted and he was left out. And it was probably because he made a lot of enemies along the way, including Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys. Remember from fourth grade history? Of course. Um, He was, I mean, just an incredibly tempestuous figure. In fact, one guy was like, yeah, I mean, Benedict loves money so much. I bet he would betray the U.S. for it. But it's not a joke because he absolutely would. Um, Like, he just was one of those guys that would piss people off. Like, he just had terrible social skills. So I don't know how we got Peggy Shippen. But one of his biggest battles was the Battle of Bemis Heights. So the story goes, Arnold ignored his general's instructions and charged into battle rallying the men and he ended up defeating the British army and winning the battle. So this is like one of his good things that he did. And this was a huge milestone in the revolutionary war because it not only gave them a major win, but it showed France that they were fucking serious. And France decided to align themselves with the colonists against the British because of that battle. But Arnold was severely injured. He got shot in the leg and then like a horse fell on his leg or something crazy like that. But anyways, Washington says, hey, it's cool. Thanks so much for your help. I know you ignored your general, but it was still kind of ended up okay. Why don't you take a respite in the great city of Philadelphia and just like run it? So he's put in charge of Philadelphia. 
just, just, and just take the city. Just, just run it. It's your pension. Just, just run it. So he goes there and he meets the most beautiful woman, Peggy Shippen. And they are married a year later in 1779. 20 years her senior and she's just smitten. She's smitten. And he has an injured leg. Yeah. So she's on top most times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now he's like really entrenched in her social circle. And he's like, wow, you know what? These like British sympathizers aren't all that bad. And that friend of my wife's, John Andre, he's like really cool. And oh, Benedict. About when he's thinking about all this, he is court martialed by Congress for abuse of power. They're like, dude, what the fuck? We put you in charge of Philadelphia, and now I see that you're using military vessels for personal transport, and you gave a pass for a ship in the harbor that you have a financial stake in. Like, he was like, I invested in coffee, and that ship had coffee in it, so even though, like, it shouldn't have actually gone through the harbor, I let it go through the harbor without having made fears. Yeah, he's he's doing a little bit of shady shit here. A little bit of insider trading, must we say. A second time around. So he is found guilty on both accounts and he's publicly chastised. And the real blow is when George Washington gave him the I'm disappointed in you speech because he really looked up to George Washington and Georgie had a temper. Yeah. And and that's the thing, too. He did have a temper. So when he just he just told him, he goes, your actions were imprudent and improper and again, it's like that's almost worst of like, I just want you to yell at me, get it over with. And he was just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I'm really disappointed. And that like broke Benedict's heart. Like, I'm trying to run this fucking country from the ground up with nothing. Yeah. And you're being a dick. So he's super embarrassed and he's feeling really <laughs> shitty and defensive. And Peggy is like, you know, who wouldn't treat you like this? The British army because they're gentlemen. Oh, uh, but they absolutely would. And you know who I just so happen to be ex-lovers, current best friends with? John Andre, who had recently been appointed to the position of chief of spies for the British Army. <gasps> so John ropes them in. Mm-hmm. My, my, my. And she starts to sow the seeds of traitorism and she persuades him to switch sides. So she mm-hmm. is she's the, the traitor. Ca- she's the catalyst. She gave him that apple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eve. Eve. Um, Peg Eve. Now um, we can't even... And Peggy. Now we cannot even live in the garden. You uh-uh. must go to London, Peggy. Get. Go away. So she says, what we're going to do is you're going to write letters to me and say, like, my dearest Peggy, the colonial troops are going to be at this time on this date. And here's what we're doing. And I love you so much. And she's like, what we're going to do is like, we're going to misplace them into John Andre's hands. Who is then going to give them to the general of the British army, General Clinton. So she starts smuggling letters back and forth between the two. And they hatch a plan to fuck over West Point. Um, Also, just a note, her code name is Lady. At this point, which I love. And that's why this cocktail was named Lady McTrader. Like the dog? Yeah. Like the adorable Cocker Spaniel? Mm-hmm. So does that make Benedict Arnold the tramp or John Andre the tramp? Oh, John Andre. Mm, true. 
I feel like they had way more chemistry. Um, so Except they, for that other dog that's like, I'll make a, a lady out of you. Like I'll The be, Scotty? Yeah, I'll be your, the Scotty dog. <laughs> <laughs> what is his name? Oh, who cares? <laughs> Jacques. It's Jacques. Jacques the Scotty dog. I love him. Um, so they hatch a plan to fuck over West Point because Benedict Arnold was just recently appointed to being in charge there. Because you know who put him in charge there? Philip Schuyler. Listen, it all the comes man is loaded to the Skylers. <laughs> so, uh oh, but little did he know. Yeah. <laughs> so he's put in charge there, and he starts to do little stuff around the base to kind of weaken West Point. He ignores repairs. He drains supplies without refilling them, and he starts reassigning troops. So he's sending people away, and then he gets the big offer. General Clinton says, I will give you $20,000 to betray the U.S. Like, for real, for real. Like, I want a big coup. And who else but Peggy Shippen hands over the documents that seal the deal on August 25th, which in our time recording was two days ago. Yeah. She is right now 200, 300 years ago. 300 years ago. Handing shit over to be like, Let's betray the American government. Yeah. I want my tea. Shit. I want my tea. So. I want my land after we win this <laughs> war. So the deed is done and he gets everything all set up for a very planned siege. He meets up with John Andre and gives him very detailed maps and plans of how to successfully attack West Point. John Andre heads out from their little secret meeting and ends up being captured by colonial troops. They search his shit and they find the incriminating documents with Benedict Arnold, big old John Hancock, right there at the bottom. George Washington. <laughs> I love that I you still call it a John I know, Hancock. When they're like contemporaries. Yeah, but that, it like happened a few years before that. Okay. I'm sorry. That was very no, funny. I know. I put it in there on purpose. Perfect. <laughs> big old Tom with Cruise a joke. signature. Ah, um, so. George Washington sees these papers and he is devastated. He famously says, well, whom do we trust now? And the thing was, he was literally on his way to have breakfast with Benedict Arnold that day. And that was portrayed in Drunk History. But like, apparently that was really true. I think um, I think George Washington had such faith that everybody was as loyal as he was. He (laughs) he's very much like producer. Where he only sees the good in people and you just need to be like, no, stop it. People suck Mm -hmm. sometimes. Like sometimes people suck. Oh my gosh. I'm such a skeptic. Oh my God. I, every time someone talks to me, I'm like, you're lying. (laughs) I do the same thing. Like there's no way that you're telling the truth right now. Oh, you broke your arm. Really? Really? Show me the x-ray. Show me the x-ray. All right, doubting um, Katie. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Let me person. put my fingers in the hole in your side. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so Arnold goes home and he's like, babe, we fucked up. They are on to us. And she goes, okay, 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 okay. Go to the British spot in New York City. I'll handle shit here. So 20-year-old Peggy, she is 20 years old when this is happening. She's at their house. She like half undresses. She gets her six-month-old baby in her arms, and she gets ready for the performance of a lifetime. Washington and the troops get there, and she's 
flipping the fuck out. She's like, you're just here to kill my baby. Someone just tried to kill my baby. Someone's here to kill my baby. She's being absolutely bananas. Insane. She's <laughs> being totally bananas. And she's just screaming. She's like, just, she's playing the hysterical she's, woman. She's playing the hysterical woman. Good on you, girl. Because she has two goals here. Number one, give Arnold time to escape and prove to them and number two, prove to them that she is just an innocent young girl who wants to protect her baby. And it works. They're like, oh, my gosh, this poor woman. She's obviously innocent. And George Washington is like, I love you. You're perfect. Never change. Let's go USA. And he gives her special permission to, like, get out of Dodge with her baby. He gives her a mega hat. And he gives like, her <laughs> gives her a red hat, says never forget. And <laughs> she rides off into the sunset with her baby. And then the car flies away like at the end of Greece. Exactly. John Andre. (laughs) (laughs) John Andre, though, is. I'm sorry. Who made the decision to make the car fly at the end of Greece? I'd like to talk to that person. Why? Why did that happen? It makes no sense. I can. That's the thing. You suspend belief for a musical in general, but that was a step too far. It's not Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That was a flying car. That was a flying car because it was a movie named after the literal flying car. Right. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I have no idea what's going on with Greece. Uh, Greece is unforgivable. That's an unforgivable moment in cinematic history. Um, Sandra so Day O'Connor, anyways, you're to blame. Um, <laughs> bitch. Um, so... <laughs> So John Andre, though, is left behind and he is hung at the gallow for his deeds. I know, because do you remember on our Eliza Hamilton episode, I said that Hamilton went and begged for his life. What? Because Eliza Schuyler was good friends with him, too, because she was a social life. And she was like, he went to George Washington and begged for Andre's life, said, please, for my wife, don't kill this man. And Washington was like, I'm sorry. I have to to. set an example, which he did have to set an example. I mean, I don't I don't personally believe in capital punishment. No. Like I know back then, like that was the the thing. Dude, what the fuck? I know. I know. So there are multiple women after this Andre. Oh, yeah. He was a hot commodity. Um, But now he's dead. He should have sided with the blue one. Peggy and Arnold successfully escaped to London in 1781, where he was rewarded by the crown with a pension and forever hated in America with his name being tarnished forever. He's literally America's Judas Iscariot. He really is. And the name Benedict now reserved only for delicious poached eggs and hollandaise sauce. I mean, that's like the only things we know about Benedict Arnold. And Cumberbatch. Also British. Um... (laughs) so in london though he continued to annoy people he would get into fights with other guys and he got entangled with some really bad business ventures and like he was just generally kind of not a chill dude like he would never be as successful as he thought he should be because he was a dick he was not a nice guy 
But, but was Peggy settling for him is what I'm trying to understand. Like, what enthralled her? I don't know. Maybe that was in Chapter 5, and Chapter 5 wasn't free online. Yo, so girl, I don't know. I can know. buy you books if no, you're struggling. No, it's fine. <laughs> I just, if I'm struggling. No, it's fine. I also didn't have time to read an entire book, but no, I really I probably you. should have. Uh, um, Audible. But, should have. Audible.com slash Herstory Trials. Use that link. You'll get a free audiobook. So... And we'll but, get $15. <laughs> but Peggy... Don't talk about money. Oh, my God. Um, it's so inappropriate. But Peggy would go on to have seven children, five which would survive infancy, with Arnold. And obviously, he has three children back at home, so he has a ton of kids. Um, they're just dealing with... Back in the U.S., though, which I feel so bad for his first three sons. They're like, um, I'm sorry, our dad did what? And they're just back in the U.S., like... Uh, How do I change I'm my last name? Mr. Smarnold. Mm. I'm not Arnold. Um, so it just really sucks for them, and I feel bad for them. But in January 1801, Benedict Arnold's health really began to decline. He had gout. He had dropsy. He had all sorts of other shit going on. And when he really felt like he was at the end, he asked Peggy to dress him in his old colonial uniform and he supposedly said, let me die in this old uniform in which I fought my battles. May God forgive me for ever having put on another. And on June 14th, 1801, Benedict Arnold died in the uniform of the country he betrayed at the age of 60. His estate was obviously left to Peggy, and she sold a lot of the stuff to pay off his debts and help her take care of her children. But just a few years later, on August 24th, 1804, she died of cancer, just one day before the anniversary of her greatest act of betrayal at the age of 44. Wow. I know. She was buried next to her late husband at St. Mary's Church in Battersea and for years thought of as just the unfortunate wife of America's worst traitor, only to be renamed one of the most conniving women in U.S. history. Wasn't she the like highest paid spy or some shit? She's crazy. Something like that. Crazy spy. So that's it. She was just a wealthy woman. That's Peggy Shippen. I love it. And you know what? This is the whole conversation about being on the right side of history. No, absolutely. Because she's she's on the wrong side. Her and Benedict Arnold are totally on the wrong side. And now they are like. And they knew it in their lifetime. Yeah, they which did. Which sucks for them. But it's like sometimes the right side of history is not the easy side. No, it's not. Being an American colonist was not easy. But it was like, hey, yo, I don't want to do this anymore, man. So I'm not going to. And then they thought like, oh, the British are clearly going to win. So let's be traitors. And then look what happened. Right. Exactly. Because that was all before the French started helping that they made that decision. I know. And this is the thing about the Revolutionary War is I feel like anytime we do a story in the midst of it, there are a billion factors that like come into people's decision making. And again, you're either on the right side or wrong side of history at the end of the day. And she was totally on the wrong side. Winners write the history. That's true. Oh. But yeah, so that was it. Um, Are you ready to compare these women? I'm so ready. So we're going to compare these two ladies in a like little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. What time is it? We're good. I think on time. Guys, we're appearing on another podcast this evening. It's about 420. 
perfect. We'll do a little of this, and then we'll have producer come and fix our computer. Excellent. Okay. So, I feel like both of these women were, like, kind of trying to use their beauty to get ahead when society wasn't giving them anything else. There there was a, a seductive nature of womanhood. Mm-hmm. That was all you had. It was all you had because, I mean, I'm sure that Fritigund did not have an official education because you said she was born into a poor family. So, like, all she had was her conniving nature. <laughs> right. And it's just, like, she was at it for the crown. And I think yeah. they were both at it for the crown. But I don't think that Peggy and Benedict Arnold were literally royalists. I don't think they were. No. And, and I, I honestly don't think Fritigand was either. No. I think they were just trying to side with who they thought was going to win. They were trying to because, come out on top. Exactly. Because Fritigand was like, I'm going to pair myself with the highest you know, person in the land, which is the king. I'm going to get in there no matter what I have to do to get it. Because I think both of them at the end of the day were trying to solidify kind of safety. They were both playing the game of what they think royalty is. Yes. And the thing about Peggy and Benedict is they were so certain that the British were going to win the war that they were ready to abandon everything that they had in the U.S. because they're like, well, yeah, that's just going that's just going to happen. It's like we'll be gifted property and probably slaves and yeah. probably this and probably that. And it's like all these people who they respected clearly. Like we we know Benedict Arnold respected George Washington, but he was willing to turn his back for all of these things. Yeah. I mean, it's like betting on the Hawks when you know that the Mighty Duck mighty ducks might pull through it's like the the iceland with the turtlenecks i know they i mean there's so many hockey references that they we can make so blonde but <laughs> so nordic playing um, the unfortunate wife i thought was interesting because yes. Fritigand did not play that card ever Mm-mm. she was like i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna become the queen he like strong she strong-armed the king into marrying her she was like hey listen i'm gonna kill every <laughs> wife you have until you marry me you so psycho. you might as well just marry me now whereas like- peggy was like ready to play the the role no she totally was like i feel like fritigan was like she wasn't mincing words she was like look here's the deal you know what i'm up to i know what i'm up to let's just get to what we both want to get and pecky's like no all i care about is my baby and then george washington's like of course you do you're free to go. And As pe- somebody who's never fathered a child, yeah, how compassionate for him to walk in and be like, of course, that's all you care about. I'm so sorry I bothered you. Hold the phone. George Washington didn't have children? No, Martha Washington had children and then they got married. What? I think he was impotent and that's why he didn't have the testosterone to be a, like, I'm going to take over power. Martha Washington had kids. He never had any. He was her second I- husband. <sighs> Right? 
Okay, so why in the world do I know who Ethan Allen is in the Green Mountain Boys, but I don't know that George Washington was impotent and that Martha Washington and him never had children? I do want to be fair. That's me saying I think he was impotent. <laughs> but I really Why think- don't I know this historical fact? <laughs> uh, I, I think that people want to think of him as the most manly man ever, but he did not father any children. Wow. Martha had children pre-marrying him. So Very I honestly think that's the only man who could have turned down that power, one with an absence of testosterone. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. Hershery theories. And that's just me saying that. I've yeah. oh, I say that to producer once a week. I'm like, well, if you didn't <gasps> have testosterone, a week. do you even know what George, have you been to Mount Vernon and seen the rocking chairs? There's no testosterone nice. in those rocking chairs. No testosterone. <laughs> Uh, there's none. <laughs> uh, anyway, this became a male podcast. That's I'm fine. so sorry. We're not talking about him. Um, but that is a really cool story. We'll have to do Martha Washington because she had a husband and had four kids and then two of them died. And then George Washington was the stepfather. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, I also want to talk about the th- idea of being. I feel like Fredegund was just like, yeah, I'm fucking evil. Everybody knows it. Just like do what I want because I'm going to fucking kill you. And right. Peggy is like. No, it's like this idea of like being overtly evil and like hurting people and then being secretly evil. And then she hurt a whole country by being like secretly bad. It's also funny because that is two sides of feminism. Like I have talked to a lot of Gen Xer women and I don't want to accuse this of all Gen Xers. I just have a very close friend who's a Gen Xer and she's just like, like, I get what you're doing and like, I'm proud of you, but also like. I'm the type of person who's like lead by example. Like, let me just put my nose to the grindstone and do my work. And then people will learn from me doing that. And then there are women that are like, no, I'm going to fucking do it. And I'm going to be loud about it. Yeah. So I think they're just both are important and both are necessary. Mm -hmm. And they're just two avenues. And Fritigan, stop murdering people. I I don't want to pretend you're a good woman. Like you were a murderer and like killed your own children or tried to. Cool it with the murder. Right. Um, But I I do think that there are two sides to feminism and both are important. And I do think it's okay to sometimes play the wilted woman. Yeah. Well, because especially when you're at a point where you are so incredibly disadvantaged, like you have to play every card that you fucking have because it's all that you have. So I don't want to judge women who are like, yeah, you know what? Like I'm really pretty. So like if I want X, Y, Z, like, and I can use my beauty to get it. Like, absolutely. I mean, she looked at a colonial army coming at her house and was like, I'm intelligent enough to, subvert this situation yeah she was smarter than the rest of us yeah no she absolutely was someone's stealing your car it's producer I think. <laughs> see ya these windows are a death sentence to this podcast love you bye <laughs> yeah no i i really think that they're they had that in common and then they had the old money versus new money. Yeah. It, like Fritigand was new money. She had yeah. just become queen and Peggy Shippen was old money. She had been like fully put into like a family that was engro- engrossed in America. I think that's yeah. what drives me crazy about it is like she made the decision to change because of a crush that she had in high school. Yeah. That's, Real fucked up. 
And yeah. I know that she wasn't in high school and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. She was into John Andre. She was. And she, she chose him and his beliefs over her husband, who was a, like, lieutenant in the army. Yeah. And I also am going to bring in something else that you're very into, which is birth order. And I feel like Peggy being the youngest, because fiance Knowles and I talk all the time about being the youngest and we are born into this notion of things will work out because we see our older siblings go through shit and it works out like most of the time like it's okay like shit happens and it's bad but like at the end of the day like something like, it's not all bad. And I feel like Peggy kind of had that idea of, like, I'm the baby of the family. So, like, it's going to work out, whether it's, you know, me or my dad or my husband or, like, you know, my friends kind of rallying together. Like, it will work out. And Fertigan did not have that mentality because she had to, like, work for everything yeah. that she did. And, and also, we don't even know about her childhood. All no, we, we don't. She was low born. Yeah. Her parents could have sold her to the castle. They absolutely she, could have. And we know that she probably had a daughter pre, you know, being married to the king. We don't know how that happened. Was she raped? Was she married to someone else? Did he die? We don't know her story. And that's what's so crazy about people in 500 versus 1700. Yeah. It's like it's over a thousand years later. Yeah. Well, and it's wild, too, because I do feel like sometimes women from that long ago almost seem like, well, they were all just old. And it's like, yeah, but 1700 versus 500 is so much more advanced, even if like we don't quite see it. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just, I, I would love to know what happened in Ferdigan's childhood to, to make her great. think that way. Cause I feel like I can draw a line from like Peggy's childhood to her thinking like, no, I'm the darling daughter. I'm special. It's going to work out for me no matter what happens. And I mean, technically it did. Like, she led a good life in London. Yeah. She, but, she I mean, she couldn't come back to her home ever, yeah. which is horrifying. But she also earned that on herself. Um, yeah. Because I think there was, like, one story that I read in the source she that went was, to like, Canada, I she think. tried to yeah, come home. And Canada. then Philadelphia was like, fuck you. And yeah. she was like, oh, God, I got probably got to get out of here. Oh, My B. I'm sorry. I thought you guys were over it. Yeah, the both of them were, they were incredible and they made mistakes and they yeah. did really cool things, but then they really, in the end, both of them really messed up. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I love a bad girl episode. Mm, it's my favorite. Um, all right. Are you ready to toast? I am ready to toast. Perfect. So I found it very difficult to toast Fritigan, so I'm not going to toast her. I'm going to toast a quality that she had i want to toast women who know how to delegate Ooh, I like um that. even though her delegation was about assassinating people i think that it's a really important quality um so i think if you are somebody who delegates you will be as a woman you'll be called bossy you'll be called demanding and you're like oh okay you're missing charge but great leaders know how to delegate and they know who their people are and men are not used to seeing women delegate they're not used to seeing you delegate so the more that we do it and we tell people that are below our station like hey i think you're really good at this go do this the more people will get used to it and it's a really important quality to have because you can't do this alone absolutely so, to women who can delegate uh, cheers cheers
What do you got for me? I'm going to toast women who can bring the drama. (laughs) I feel like Peggy Shippen would have been so great on a reality TV show. She was here for the drama. She was like, I love being a fucking spy. I love that all these guys want me. I love that I'm friends with my ex-boyfriend and I'm conspiring with my current husband. She just loved it. And she was here for the drama and I'm here for her. So <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Just shit. get rid of your slaves, you bitch. <laughs> yeah, really. All right. Now, Allie, to finish off the episode, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I am really obsessed with the website MyModernMet.com. My Modern what? Met. Like M-E-T, like the M- museum. Oh, um, okay. So My Modern Met puts up these just incredible artists that mostly do like visual photography so you get to see these like really cool pictures and they put up series and I see them a lot on Twitter and I'll every time I'll see like the cover photo of the article and I'll click on it but now because I've clicked on it more and more come up and I realize just how incredible like the way some of these people it's so stupid but the way some of these people cut fruit and like set it out to be pictured or the way some of these people are like, here's how I'm going to set up a chessboard and it looks like something totally different. Or here's how I drew every smiley face I found in my house. Like, you know, like there'll be like two dresser drawers that have a knob and one that has like a ring and they'll draw them as people like everything all over their house. They saw as humans I don't know it just my modern met is like an online version of like incredible art like high caliber art that you just will be enthralled with every link you click on I just I can't believe it every time I see it I'm like why didn't I think of that oh yeah because I'm not a genius yeah oh that's so it's cool and it's worth just clicking around or typing it into your Twitter or your Instagram a couple times because then it'll start coming up right the algorithm right you don't have to search for it once you type it in a couple times and then you'll just be amazed and it'll be a surprise here's what it is friends you got to make your algorithm work for you right type in what you want in the search bar Two times a day for a week, and then you'll only get that. I know. I wanted videos of Ariana Grande and Broadway musicals, and that's now all I have in my Instagram feed. Ponytails. And it's perfect. (laughs) Ponytails and Broadway. Um, So I am going to recommend a show. So fiance and I have been in kind of like a rut, I feel, with TV. So like we finished the like Sopranos and like all this stuff. And we're like, we have to take a break from like dramatic TV for a while. And I was like, all right, I think I'm ready to get back in. So we watched The Sinner. Have you seen this yet? I have not. <laughs> it's Jessica Biel from Seventh Heaven. You mean from Justin finest. Timberlake's wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... It was a book written in the 90s by this German author. So the book takes place in Germany. And I actually, we have the book and fiance read it. So while we're watching the show, he knows what's going on. But so the, he's interjecting. He He's like, that guy's the worst. And I'm like, shut up. Oh, I love that. I so, love it when somebody tells me what's going to happen. I know. So... But the thing is, like, they rework the show so that it's in kind of, like, upstate New York in the 2000s. And Jessica Biel's in it, and she's so good. I mean, like we say, a tour de force. 
Um, and the whole show is like, it's just, it's so good. And it's um, based on a book. So it's just like seven, I think, episodes, like seven or eight episodes. And it's enthralling. I cannot wait. You, sinner? You the Sinner. The Sinner. The Sinner. Uh, we watched it on Netflix, I think. So yeah, it's widely available. So just go check it out. It's really good. It's fascinating. Um, but it was really hard to watch because um, there's like a big like heroin scene. And like, so oh, that, that was... for, for it was, uh, fiance? Yeah. Like it was very difficult. So just like a warning to people like... That was really People hard to watch. Struggling with addiction or recovery or recovery, yeah. Because I mean, he's been clean for five years, six years, seven over that. Yeah, I mean, probably like going on eight or nine. Wow. And like we're watching this scene, and he's like tensing up right you know like Very so i just want to like give that warning to people um because it's really uh, like oh it's just traumatic so anyways but it's a really good show so <laughs> watch the show uh-huh. uh, and now i'm reading the book now that i know what happens i mean listen i'm gonna <laughs> change my promo to jessica beal and beal she's so fantastic chainsaw massacre she blew my mind i was well, because she was like, I'm not this, like, I'm not the daughter from seventh heaven anymore. I'm more than that. So treat me like I am. She kicked ass in all, yeah. She's the best. So anyways, um, go check those like out. Like and love us everywhere. Please follow us and rate and review us. That is the best. Thank you again, Avery Bray, for leaving that review. It was so wonderful. And you're, the people that you suggested are coming up. They're coming up. Don't worry. We want the world to know. So we're going to be doing all requests this season. So if you have any ones that you want to slip in near the end of the season, just email us or Facebook message us or Instagram message us, whatever. Add us on Twitter. We'll find you. We'll find you and we'll find your person. But most of all, we want you to remember that well-behaved women make their own salad dressing. They do. And they rarely make history. Uh, Bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye. Chessie can never go outside again. Never. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) That's the worst thing I've ever seen. (gasps) I hate birds like that so much. That is literally the evil bird from Snow White. (gasps) Jessie. Stay here. Thank God you're safe. (laughs) She's just sleeping on the carpet. My God. Okay, I'm so sorry. Um, I caught that out of the corner of my eye and thought I was going to pass out. That's so scary. (laughs) Take a picture. It's back. It's back. Jade! (laughs) Get the buzzard!
that you live out here. <laughs> Where am I? He's gonna get in your windows! He's gonna eat your children! <laughs> oh my god! I hate him! <laughs> Call him! There's a full-scale buzzard on the roof. Like, oh my god! Out the window and it's horrifying. Get the broom! Okay, it's it's walking away. It's on the other side of the porch now. Near your daughter's window! <laughs> okay, I'll tell you later. Bye. Oh my god. Okay, we should probably get some, like, curtains for these. Peggy Shipman. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a saga. Um, wow. Producer's gonna come back here absolutely and be like, what the fuck? I'm yeah. trying to work. <sighs> okay. Is this still there? Oh my gosh, she's running! Ah! Oh, he's eating out of your gutters! This is horrible! He's up there! He's up there! I wish I had that picture of Jake on the roof. Like, at the... Oh my god. Oh my gosh, his wings. Oh my gosh, he's getting big. He's gonna eat Jake. <laughs> he's gonna eat him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Patreon. I really am. Picture. <laughs> he's like, he's gonna get attacked. Oh my god, I'm crying. This is ridiculous. This is the way you get when you move to the country, Allie. I know. Why is my backyard so weird? Oh my god. Is Jake gonna throw that thing at it? No, he just like. Oh my, oh my god! Gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm crying. That was so funny. <laughs> Jessie is full alert. Look at her. Jessie's like, there's a buzzard? Let me get in on it. I want to get this bird, too. It's okay, oh. Jessie. It won't get you. We won't let it get you. Okay. All right. I'm so sorry you're going to have to listen to this like four times. <laughs> I'm going to cry laughing <laughs> when I listen.